Thank you, team. I want to continue with the theme tonight, uh, developing the heart of a servant. And uh, let me tell you a true story to start with. Over 200 years ago, this is a true story. There was a gentleman on his horse in civilian clothes, and he would be riding on his horse, and then he found a group of very tired and uh, battle-weary soldiers. It was in the middle of a battle. And he would drive up to these guys, these soldiers that were tired, and he could see that they were, they, they, were, they were not coping so well. And while he was getting closer to them, he would see that this bunch of soldiers were digging a trench. And they were ready to take up another defensive position. So they had to dig trenches and go really deep in order to do that. And, and, and among them, there was a group, a leader of the group, and he was standing a little bit away. And the leader was only shouting at them and screaming at them and giving commands at them. But he was making no effort to actually physically help them. And he was threatening them if they didn't do the job within a specific time that he would be punishing them. So the man on the horse, the civilian on the horse, drove up to or sort of close to this man who was leading. And he says, why aren't you helping your men? And the response of this man was this, I am in charge and these men do as I say. And he says to this man on horseback and he says, and if you feel so strong about this, why don't you get off your horse and help the men? And to his surprise, the man got off his horse and started to work among the soldiers to help to dig the trench. And when they finished, after a while, digging this trench, the man walked towards the soldiers one by one and congratulated them each on doing the job so well. And then he walked up to the young leader. And he said these words to them. Listen to them. He said, the next time your rank prevents you from supporting your men, I will have a more permanent solution for you. And as the man was saying these words to the soldier, the civilian, the soldier recognized General George Washington. Oops, somebody said, that's right. Oops. Let me tell you something, my dear friend. I love people who are willing to dig trenches in the church. I love people who are willing to serve. And I love just as much leaders who are willing to dig trenches with the people that are on their team. Every church should aim to build an effective team and a powerful team of trench diggers. And I think we have many in our church who do do that, but I do think that we can do better. Servanthood, as I said two weeks ago, servanthood is very close to the heart of God. It is in His nature to serve. Let me take you to a verse, and you don't have to go there. I think it will be on the screen. And David said in Psalm 84 verse 10, and I will explain it a little bit to you tonight. He said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now I want you to pause a little bit there and think, what on earth was David trying to say to you? To you and me. You know, a a doorkeeper was a a servant's position. It is mentioned about 11 times in the Old Testament, this word doorkeeper, and not much in the New Testament. But what does it actually mean? Because immediately in my mind, I have kind of an idea of what this person looks like. Maybe a low kind of position in the temple. But being a doorkeeper in the temple meant that you had a wide variety of duties. And among them was that you would collect money as people would bring the money to the temple and that you would also be helping to discharge or to take charge of the free will offerings. 
other duties was that you would protect those, the doors of the temple and those that would come in, you would screen them and make sure that they are safe to come in. You were also in charge of cleaning the sacred vessels with inside the temple. Some people who were Levites held these positions. And although a humble position, this position in the temple was never looked down upon. They were in par, on par, in fact, with the singers and the other Levites. This position, a doorkeeper, was a respected, needed, and a much valued function among the people of God. And people who say to us that the success of the temple in the days of the Old Testament really depended on the passion and the involvement and the commitment of the doorkeepers. So what does David then mean when he says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God? You see, here's the king speaking that had some servants that served him. And he definitely did not mean this in a demeaning or derogatory way. He meant this in contrast with those who were sitting in the tents and those who were wicked. So when David says these words, he was saying it respectfully. He actually placed value on servanthood. When he says, I would rather... My preference would be, my desire would be rather to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than sit with a bunch of men, a bunch of sinners in a tent who only try and satisfy themselves and their fleshly desires. So it was a matter of preference, not to say that it was not a good or a great position. A doorkeeper, although a humble position, was an honored and a respected position in the temple. So we're talking about what it means to be a servant or a volunteer. And I want to take you through a couple of characteristics of what I believe a servant in the house of God should have and should look like. And the first one is, uh, is quite important. The first one is that you should have an attitude of humility. An attitude of humility. And in line with what I've said about David a bit earlier on, was that David definitely seemed to think when he put value on the servanthood that it is a place of humility. Humility is probably, I think, one of the most needed, necessary ingredients, characteristics of what a successful servant in the house of God should have. Let's turn quickly to Philippians chapter 2. I would like you to take your Bible and uh, turn with me. I'm going to read a couple of verses from there. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 quickly. While you do that, I'll grab a sip of water. Philippians chapter 2. It says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be taken advantage of. Another translation said, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee on heaven and earth should be bowed. Now, when I look at this verse, and when you read it in your Bible, the verse that jumps out to me and that I like most is verse 9. 
And verse 9, if you read it with me, says this, And God exalted him to the highest place. Because I think naturally, as pastors, as leaders, as congregants, we want to jump to high places. We're looking for high places, for pedestals, and not necessarily for places to serve. You know, I hear people quite out of context so many times, you are the head and not the tail. And all of it is just to, to say to one another, I am better than others or than what I think I am. And Jesus saw himself as a servant, as a servant in the house of God. We talk about success in the ministry. And I've read many books on success in the ministry as well. And how to live a successful life. And how to be a successful pastor or a successful congregant or a leader in the church. But I've read very few big books on how to be a successful servant in the house of God. And that for me is so important because if Jesus did it, then you and I should be learning from it. You see, we're looking and we're longing for the high places to serve. Places of recognition. And Jesus did exactly the opposite. I think if Jesus lived today, he would still have served those that he had created. And I think if Jesus has lived today, you know what I think he would have done? I think he would have made a meal for a chef. I think Jesus would have, would have been willing and probably would have swept the house of a house cleaner. I think Jesus would have offered and probably done it. He would come and clean the toilet of the janitor. Not just help them to do it, but that's the kind of Jesus that I know. It would be willing to take the lowest position and willing to do it with all his heart. See, I want you to think a little bit about that verse 9 again. Because verse 9 says, and God exalted him to the highest place. I want you to think when that actually happened in the life and ministry of Jesus. It happened after his death. Not while he was on earth. While he was on earth, he had the lowest position, according to us, servant. He came to serve. And God says at the end, right at the end, God exalted him to the highest place. God exalted, it happened after he died. And why do we then look for the highest place when we are here, when we should be looking for the place of servanthood and saying, God, I will give you, I will serve. I'll put on my overalls and my gloves and I will serve. The second very important thing or characteristic of a servant would be that we should serve from a sense of commitment rather than a sense of convenience. And there's a difference. And we're living in an age of convenience, don't we? And don't tell me, don't be super spiritual. It is nice. It is nice to have stuff that makes life more convenient. And Pete, you would like this this morning. I got up early uh, to pray and to go over my sermon. And Carol was still snoozing. And, and, and I, I've got a little silver machine in my office there. And I pressed a little button. And a little bit later, it made some noises. And I put a cup under it. And then I pressed another button that says cappuccino. And I said, Carol, make me coffee. And I pressed that button. And it goes. And I have a cup of coffee. That's convenience, isn't it? I didn't have to wake the wife, because men don't know how to do that, all right? So I didn't, I didn't have to do that. That's convenience. I love it. But let me tell you, if Jesus was obsessed with convenience, he would probably not have tolerated the religious leaders of his day. If Jesus was so con obsessed with convenience, he would not have gone to the cross, my dear friend, because that was certainly not convenient, 
He would not have done it. And today you and I would not have had salvation. You see, Jesus fully understood even before he came to earth that his serving, his servanthood, his role as a servant was going to hurt him. It was going to hurt him. It was not going to be nice. He wasn't going to be recognized for who he was or who he is. It was not going to be nice. He was going to serve himself to death. If I can put it in my language. And but to explain that because he said he served unto death. All right? So choosing convenience over commitment is sort of the lifestyle that we like to live. But you know what I found personally and in our church and, and churches as, as believers as well? It tends to make us lazy when we serve, when we choose convenience over commitment. You see, because I, I tend then to serve when I want to, when there's not too much pressure on me, when I don't feel tired, then I serve. If I choose convenience, then I will run after every other attraction in town that is better. Maybe there's a a better singer, better preacher in my town. So instead of serving, I'll choose convenience and I will go there. Convenience says, well, you know what? It is a little bit cold today, so stay at home. Convenience says, you know what? There's a rugby match on or a tennis match or a cricket match. There's a family function on. Commitment says that regardless of that, I'm going to serve God at church. That's what I'm going to do. Convenience says it's cold, rather stay at home, put on the fire, put on the telly, or maybe watch Rulof or the servers as they live stream it these days. Commitment says I'll rather dress warm. I'll put a blanket over my shoulder, I'll put some gloves on, but I'm going to church. Bryce and I were talking in the car and he says to me, you know dad, acts of service requires sacrifice. And I said, spot on. Acts of service require sacrifice. The third very important thing when it comes to the heart or the characteristic of a servant is this, that we should have a willingness to serve regardless of our community or our church status. Now, turn with me quickly to Nehemiah chapter 3. And I want you to hold your finger there. And it's difficult. I know if you have an electronic Bible to hold your finger there. But, uh, but we're going to go back there a little bit later as well. Because there's two passages from Nehemiah chapter 3 I want to read. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1 to 5 first. I'm going to start reading. Then I'm going to stop. And then I'm going to explain the background as well. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1. Elijah, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Pause. Let me give you background. Nehemiah got a dream. God spoke to him and says, go and build the, the walls of Jerusalem. Go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah goes off and he convinces his boss, who was, who was not a Jew, and he says, you know what? I, I, I want to go back. I want to rebuild the walls. Uh, this could be a military threat to you. But his boss says, go for it. Go and do that. So he goes out. Now he's got to convince the Israelites that this is a good dream. That they're going to build, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Eventually they're all on board. And, and, and they start rebuilding. And I want you to see in the verse I've just read. Underline in your Bible, the high priest. And the next one, and his fellow priests. Because so often, religious leaders or people who have got a standing in a community or church refuse to serve because they think they've arrived. No, it's not you. I know it's not you. 
Obviously not. But this is so interesting. So here these guys go. The high priest is working. He probably tucked his little cloak in or whatever he was wearing. You see, he could have used the excuse and say, guys, I've got spiritual things to tend to. I can't do this messy stuff. I'm not getting involved in this. But he didn't. He tucked his little cloak in and, and he tied it down and he got his fellow priests and says, come on, we've got to set an example here. We've got to work here. We're going to build. And this is lacquer because we're rebuilding something for our people and for God here. And then it says, they, as, they, as they built up to the sheep gate, they dedicated and set the doors in place. And then they went on they're building as far as the Tower of the Hundred. And when they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hanel, and so they went on, the men of Jericho built. And so as they were building, the men of Jericho were building that side and they were meeting one one another together and it says this is how they completed the wall working hand in hand those who were skilled but those who were religious those who were leaders those who had good standing they were all getting involved so i'm telling you tonight if you want to be a servant according to the way jesus wants us to serve you've got to serve regardless of your community or church status everyone started to apply their skills here I remember when we bought these buildings, and DJ is a friend of mine, and he was the pastor of this church, and runs a great church in our community, and so on. But the first time, Carl, I walked into these buildings, and they used to call this the Pink Palace. The walls were painted pink. Yeah. Dalian, that work me. So I said, guys, before I preach the first time in this church, we got to repaint the inside of this church to beige, which is the color it is now. So we, we got involved. You see, everybody started and I made an announcement and people were so excited because we were moving from a factory into this place and, and they all got involved. We had stuff to fix. We had, we had stuff to paint and, and they brought their stuff and some removed some rubble and everybody was doing something. And you know, while we were working like this, let me, let me tell you, nobody was really cared or caring about their appearances you know people came in in shorts and t-shirts and some of it was was like yes that's that short is a bit shocking you know some of them came unshaved some of them looked scruffy some of them smelled a little bit after a couple of hours and some of them demonstrated their humanness by getting upset with people because they were not working so well together so their true character was shown as well so here we were working together servants young old pastors mechanics the financial director of Fidelity Guards was then almost retired. He was involved. You know, he had the money probably to say, listen guys, I'm not going to do this. I'll send my painter. I'll pay for it. I'll send my painter. That wall there was built, was, was painted by Mr. Colin Furee. And I'm, if he's listening, Colin, I love you. As the, you know what, but Colin, your shorts were shocking. Yeah, I hope you're listening. I hope you've thrown them away and so on. So yeah, we were all, we were working like servants together, guys. And you know, when we did it, we finished because we had a common goal. That next morning, Peterki, we had a prayer meeting in there, in that prayer room. It was one of the best prayer meetings I've attended at the barn. People were so excited because we finished a job. Now listen to me. And we celebrated because we felt like we were all owners. Do you get my drift? We were all owners. That's how we felt like. It wasn't for Rulof, for Peter, for Nick, or for anybody else. We felt like we were all owners. And that's the fourth thing I think that is so important when it comes to being a servant in the house of God. is taking ownership. Taking ownership. 
You see, yes, God gives a vision to a visionary. And God motivates a visionary to start speaking it and, and, and getting other people excited about it and, and, and so on. So a person may come in with a particular vision. But listen to me, where does the vision come from? I hope it comes from God. And because it comes from God, he just uses a person to bring that vision to his community. Nehemiah was one of those. Do you think it was Nehemiah's dream to rebuild the wall? Or do you think it was God's dream to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? And he just spoke to Nehemiah. Nehemiah owned it. And made the rest of the Israelites own it. And they built it together. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9. Onwards, And before you get there, I will read Romans chapter 8 to you. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 so long. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says this. Now we are children. Then we are heirs because we are children. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Let me tell you what it's saying here is that we are co-heirs with Christ. Carl, we are working towards a commandant. We sweat, we cry, we bleed, we struggle. But in the end, we will all share in his prophets, which is his glory. That's our prophets. Outside of this world, we will be sharing in his prophets. Now listen to the words in that passage, heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 onwards. For we are co-workers, slap the person next to you and say, we are co-workers. That's it, that wasn't hard enough. In God's service. You are God's field. This is what the apostle is saying. God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. Now, now you're going to think that he's a little bit confused here, Amy, because listen to it. So here he's saying, but each one should build on it. For no one, so, so he's saying, I, I, I'm, I'm laying a, wi- a, a wise foundation. But now he goes back a little bit and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. For no one can lay any foundation other than it's already been laid. So he says, I'm laying a foundation. It's almost like saying, I'm laying a foundation on top of another foundation. And the one that's laid, the real foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just laying a foundation on top of that one. And then he says, anyone who builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And what has been built... uh, If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Remember, Pastor Nick preached a couple of months ago on receiving rewards as well. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer lost, yet be saved, even though as it is like escaping through the flames. Now listen to this verse, verse 16 and 17. Verse 16 and 17, we have normally used to tell a person, don't smoke, don't drink, don't do this because you're damaging the temple of God. And we're not far off saying that. But listen to it. In the context of building a house, a temple for God, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple? Who's God's temple? Us. We all are God's temple. And then he says, and that the Holy Spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroy God's temple, what is he referring to here? He's referring to the church that God is building. And then he says, God will destroy that person. Scary, isn't it? Scary how you deal with the church. Don't just diss the church. Don't just diss your pastor, diss your leaders, diss your fellow brother and sister, and diss your church as well. He says, God will, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. 
You are that temple. Together you are that temple. You know, some of you are running companies. Let me tell you something. You've got to take ownership. And you take the brunt. You carry the can. When things don't go right, when things go wrong, it is you. And, they, and you get nailed and so on. But in the church, it's a little bit different, my dear friends. Listen to me. We should all, like Nehemiah, we should take ownership of the work of God. Because we are co-laborers and co-heirs. We belong. We collectively work together for God's purposes. And then collectively those of us who are working together will have the profit share in the end. The profits might not be now. But the profits are coming. The last thing I want to talk about quickly here tonight. A characteristics is a willingness to serve under anyone. And here's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 3 quickly. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse uh, 3 to 5. I'm not going to read all of this, but it just says, this one built there and this one built there and in verse 3 and this one laid the beams and this one the bolts and the bars and the this and the next one did this and it's all kinds of strange names. Uh, you know, if it was Pete and Quiss and Yanni, it would have been so much easier, but it's all these difficult long names, Meth- Methusabel and this and that and so on. And they all repaired the walls, all had their different. And then listen to verse 5. This is not so lacquer. This is not so nice. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles, their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Now in your mind and my mind, we know what a noble is or we think we know what a noble is. A group of nobles are people of influence. They're people who have got good background, maybe some money and so on and so on. But, but it says here, not all nobles are the same. But here in this context, it says here with this specific things, the nobles refused to work under the supervisors because they thought they could do it better. They should maybe be in charge. They don't want to serve. You see what nobles do is, is, is they don't want to help build the walls. But they do want the benefits, Rebecca. Hey? So they go and they say, no, 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 guys. We, we can't mess with these clothes. I mean, this, this flannel jacket is going to get messed if I build. These extremely expensive plastic leather shoes are going to get beaten up. I cannot do this. And, and, and my, my, my camel is just too good for this messy road. So you guys build, and I'm not working under you, Rebecca. I'm not going to submit to you. So you do it, and when you're done, call me because I'm moving in. That's what that nobles do. That's what they did here. And it's sad, isn't it? While everybody is busy taking responsibility to build and to rebuild, there was this group of people of influence and so on and so on. And it's not all of them because I just read how people did get involved. Religious leaders and so on as well. You see, it's very difficult sometimes to come to a ministry and serve under a person that you may classify as lesser than you in experience or maybe have lesser knowledge or lesser status than you have. It is sometimes difficult to serve if you think actually I could do this job actually better. So now I'm giving attitude and I will make this leader feel inferior and I'll give them attitude until they either resign from the job and then I can get it. I know we're not like that. I know that you know, it's obviously other people. But let me tell you something. A servant is a person who's willing to serve under somebody and even make them look good. Even make them look good. Because we know that in the end we are all co-workers. And one day we will all be co-heirs as well. 
We are all co-workers. And one day we will be co-heirs as well. It has been a challenge for me for many years. When I give something away to a younger person or a different person to lead, is to let them lead that thing. And often I had come and say, no, 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 no. When we talk now, you, you lead and I will support you. And I think that's what God wants us to do. When we think we know better, still to let others do their stuff. So a willingness to serve under someone. I want to conclude by giving you a couple of just thoughts to end with tonight. Jack Herbert said this. Some of us are like wheelbarrows. Only useful when pushed, but also easily upset. Now, ladies, I'm not talking about your size. Will better sort of broad. I'm not talking about size. I'm talking about people must push us, but we're also easily upset. True story. Robert Morgan tells the story of a pastor that was approached by a businessman in his church. And the businessman came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I really would like to join your church. But, 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 please understand one thing. I have a very busy schedule. You know, so don't call me to get involved in, in caring for people uh, or any other ministries such as ushering or, or leading home cells or even going to home cells or worship team or setting up or doing sound or cleaning up or packing up or any of those kind of things. Because you must understand, Pastor, it's a true story, is my evenings are very busy with work, but I would love to join your church. So the pastor thought a little bit and then politely replied to the man. Dear friend, I believe that you are at the wrong church. The church you are looking for is about three blocks away on your right hand. Businessman got into his car and he drove down to this church. And as he came closer to the building, he saw a building that was abandoned. And the doors and the windows were boarded up. It was a dead church that had gone out of business. God's work needs willing servants. God's work needs willing servants. You know, there's a common saying. My mom used to use it, but she used to shout it out of Dutch because my parents were Dutch. And there's one thing she sometimes shouted to me in Dutch. It sounds a little bit terrible in Dutch, so the English sounds much better. And my mom used to say, what on earth are you doing? Did your mom ever say that to you? I don't know why parents do that, you know. I mean, you're told and you're doing your best you can to do nothing. And they, they shout at you, what on earth are you doing? You know, and then you're supposed to get a fright. You know? Or, for some, some other time, my mom would, would, would look at me and say, for heaven's sake. It was never a friendly face when she did that, you know. I mean, heaven is a good place, but, but this was not a, not a good statement. And then sometimes she would combine those two and she would shout, for heaven's sake, Rulof, what are you doing? And I sort of, Worked it out that I was doing something wrong. But you know what? I would like us to combine those two. And, and I would like us to change them a little bit. And ask one another the question tonight. What are you doing for heaven's sake? What are you doing for heaven's sake? Look at the person next to you and say to him, hey, he's speaking to us. What are you doing for heaven's sake? Maybe next time when we come to church, 
I want, I, want, I want you to sit down. And, and, and the moment you sit down is you look at the person and you say, hey, 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 what did you do this week for heaven's sake? You know, can you get my drift here? Very different when you combine them and you just change your tone of voice. William Carey, a famous missionary to India, was a shoemaker. And his friends felt that he was neglecting his business. So they would come up to him and say, uh, William, you can do much better in business. You know, if you just applied yourself and spend more hours and, and what about you can do so much better. You're neglecting your, your business as a shoemaker. Uh, you, can, you can be better at it as, as well. And William asked or, or, or made the statement to them and he says, neglecting my business? He said to them, he says, my business is to extend the kingdom of God. And I only make shoes to pay expenses. Yo. Yo, yo, yo. My lecturer, many, many moons ago, and Pastor Peter's lecturer, Dr. D. Morecambe, said this. I'll never forget it. You know, sometimes you take notes and you've got to go and reread your notes and, and, and rewrite your notes to really remember it. But sometimes something is said and it just goes. And you've heard me say this a few times from the pulpit because it made such an impression on my life. It says, dear friends, we should work to live and not live to work. Oh, I wish I did this better in my life. Even as a pastor. I'm telling you tonight... That God has got so much in store for us as a church. And I know for other churches as well. And we're not comparing with other churches. But we're speaking about our church tonight. As God has got so much in store for us as a church. There is so much more that, than, than, that God wants us to do as a bunch of believers. And we're doing stuff. And I'm excited about what is God is doing. But I, I'm telling you, I believe there is so much more. We spent a few days in Zambia. We're not going to tell you about it yet because we're working on, on the details there. And I looked at the task ahead of us there and I think, Nick, this is big. This is too big. But then I like it because a God-sized project or a project too big for us is normally a God-sized project. And then we don't get the glory, you see. I'm looking at this and I said, ooh, it's too big. It is too big for our pockets and too big for resources. God, therefore, you will have to do it. And I come back to our church and I think, you know what? It is possible to sustain all the things that God wants to do. Listen to me. It is possible to sustain. It is possible to grow it. It is possible to multiply. Only if each one of us walk out of here in the next few weeks and saying, you know what? I will possess the heart of a servant. That's what I will do. I will be a servant in the house of God. I will be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Because you see, my friend, this is God's kingdom. And we are the servants. This is God's kingdom. So if we park, we're not really doing him a favor. If we put our hands to the plow and we start working and saying, wherever I am, Lord, I'm going to give 200% of myself because I'm working towards eternal profits. Because it's, the, it's God's business. It's his kingdom. Father, help us in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to live this life for your glory and for your honor. To live it to its full and, and not to just fulfill our own passions and desires and to sit in the tents of wicked who satisfy their fleshly desires. But as to enjoy 
enjoy serving in your house and doing it for your glory.